This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Turn open to Matthew chapter 17 and the story of the Transfiguration. Today, I have a, a pretty simple sermon, I, at least I think so, uh, with a, a very simple idea. And it's this. God wants you to experience his love. Hopefully that's nothing new. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Our gospel story is a mountaintop experience. If you've been around Christians for long enough, you'll hear them talk about mountaintop experiences. And if you don't know what that is, they're referring to a very powerful, often short in duration experience in which somebody comes in touch with the goodness, the power, the love, and the nearness of God in a way that changes their life forever. Again, it's often a brief encounter, but with lasting changes. So for example, Mother Teresa, we all know her, we love the work that she did. She was unknown and not doing that work for half of her life, and then on a retreat, actually on the train ride to a prayer retreat, she had this vision of leaving the convent and going out to minister in the slums of Calcutta. God was showing her what he wanted her to do, and in that mountaintop experience, in that vision, she was filled with joy. She discerned that for two years, and then eventually went on to do the work that now she is so well known for. But it all traced back to that moment on the train where God spoke to her. So uh, you may have heard that at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, there is an outpouring of God's love and an experience that many people are saying is, is revival, mountaintop experiences of many people. Uh, and what I want to do this morning is share a little bit about that. Julie and I have been following and listening uh, to the testimonies with excitement, with a lot of joy and, and happiness in our heart, also a lot of hope that God will take what he's doing there in Asbury and spread it further. Uh, incidentally, Julie's father is on faculty at Asbury. He's a, a business professor there. Um, and they hosted, my, my in-laws hosted a group of about 20 folks who went down from here there last week just to see what was going on and experience it. If you're thinking of going, let me know. They might have a few beds open for you as well. Uh, but even without that personal connection of my in-laws being there, I still would be so excited about what God is doing. Uh, and here's one reason why. Um, my in-laws, again, who are there and, and seeing with their own eyes what, what is doing, um, also received this testimony from the pastor of the church that they had gone to when they were uh, in, in college and in their early years of marriage uh, back in Oklahoma. So he had driven, and here's the testimony that I'm going to share with you uh, from this pastor of, of their church from longer ago. It's also kind of neat. They tell me, Brett, we loved this church, and it, it often, resurrection often reminds us of that church that was so meaningful to us in our early years. So this pastor, he and another pastor friend, they arrive on campus on Wednesday morning. They head to the chapel right as chapel service is about to begin. And he says they were asking everyone who was not college age to go to the overflow seating. But I asked if I could just step in the auditorium to pray for a few minutes, and they let me. 
So I walked into the room, and tears began to fall from my eyes unbidden. All I can say about the experience I had over the next several minutes is that the manifest presence of the Lord is there. It is thick and substantial, and it is full of love. It is as if the Lord has set up his tabernacle right there over that room. The Holy Spirit covered me like a blanket, and then he began to flush out all the pain and the fatigue and spiritual weariness I was feeling. I went down to the altar rail to pray, and an otherworldly peace came upon me such as I have only known once in my life. I felt a couple of hands on my shoulders, and a voice began to pray over me, Lord, walk with this man in his life. Let him know your presence. Fill him with your Holy Spirit. When later I stood up, the two young college students who had been interceding for me were themselves praying at the altar. God is using his people to minister to one another in very humble but bold ways. My friend and I later went to the overflow uh, seating where the power of Jesus was there as well. The work of prayer and praise that is ongoing in this place is just remarkable. At one point, all I could think or say was just, he is so beautiful. He is so good to us. The tears kept coming, but they were all tears of joy. I prayed for full surrender to God. I, I asked him to take away all the residual fear that I feel in my life. His presence with me was so close and intimate. He was being gentle with all of us. And the experience of peace and humility was so powerful. Skipping down a little bit. Bear with me. Later, when we were getting ready to leave, I didn't want to go. I would have loved to have stayed for days and days just praying and worshiping and hearing testimonies and reading scripture. But I did leave. And I was able to do so because I have this firm conviction in my heart, God will make his presence known where he is welcomed. My own church is hungering for more of Jesus' presence. I offer this as a brief testimony of what I saw and heard with my own eyes. My experience was one of peace and gentle love being poured within me and over the whole gathering of people. Jesus loves us. So I read from that because, again, the idea this morning is so simple. It's that God wants you to experience his love. He wants that for you. In the story of our transfiguration, the gospel story this morning, Jesus is with his disciples. Now, right prior to this, he had been telling them that he was going to suffer and die and then be raised again. He had just begun telling this to them, and they were confused they were upset. They didn't know what he was talking about. Perhaps they thought, again, he was speaking in parables or something. And it was at this moment that in God's providence and his sovereignty, he says, okay, for these three, Peter, James, and John, the leaders of the apostolic band, I need them to have an experience of my glory and my presence that will sustain them through all the difficult trials, trials that are about to come. And so Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him up the mountain, and at first, according to Luke's gospel, he adds this helpful detail we don't see in Matthew. Luke tells us that they were in prayer. 
They were on the mountain. They were in prayer. Nothing unusual about that with Jesus. But then his skin begins to glow. And pretty soon he's brighter than a spotlight. His skin is glowing. His clothes are glowing. That's unusual. And then two of the greatest figures in Israel's history, Moses and Elijah, show up in person. Okay, so we've got Jesus glowing like a spotlight. Moses and Elijah are there. That's pretty unusual, but that's still not the climax yet. They continue in prayer. Jesus is talking with Moses and Elisha. Peter says some half-formed thoughts, and in the middle of that, he's interrupted by the cloud of the presence of God. The presence of God envelops the mountain. They're surrounded with a brightness, and then from the cloud, a voice speaks, the voice of God. And what does the voice of God do? Pours out love upon his son. This is my son. I love him. Listen to him. And when the voice speaks, Peter, James, and John, they they're thrown to the ground on their faces in terror. And then Jesus touches them and says, don't be afraid, get up. And Moses and Elijah are gone. The glory and the cloud and the voice is gone. And they go down the mountain. But the climax moment is here in verse 5. A bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the clouds said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So there's the presence of the Lord. There's the voice of God speaking. And there's the love of God being poured out. Now this was a mountaintop experience for Peter, James, and John for sure. But this was also a mountaintop experience for who else? the Lord himself. Jesus was there on the mount receiving everything that his father wanted to give him in that moment. Isn't that beautiful? That Jesus is receiving the love of his father. But you know what Jesus said later? John chapter 15, on the night before he was crucified, he looked on his disciples and he said, as the father loves me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I think it's one of the most underrated verses in the whole scriptures. What? As the Father loves you, Jesus, with that same love, you love us? That is astonishing. So Jesus is saying, yes, what I experienced and received on the mountaintop, the glory of the presence of God, the voice of the Father, the eternal love filling me, every part of me, as the Father loves me, that's what I want for you. God wants you to experience his love. So on Wednesday night, several of us, along with the youth group, it was beautiful to have the youth there, gathered here for prayer, partly just to bless what God was doing at Asbury, but also to pray that he would multiply that, to see if he would bring that to other places, and indeed to say, Lord, would you bring that our way? And Stuart spoke 
about revival, he said, look, it's not too complicated. The word itself just means coming alive again, reviving. And in one way, it's, it's nothing more complicated than what we do every Sunday, he says, where we celebrate, but not just celebrate, we seek the immediate application of the resurrection of Jesus to our lives every week. Stuart said. So revival is coming alive again. And I would simply add, coming alive to what? Coming alive to the love of God. Revival is coming alive to the love of God. And we rejoice and we get excited when that happens to one person. If somebody meets Jesus on a powerful way on a Sunday morning and we hear the story, we get excited about that. And we get excited when he does it in a bigger way like he's doing right now. And we're unashamed to ask for him to do that more and more and more. It's the love of God made manifest. I love that opening hymn. How many times have you sung made manifest in one hymn before? It's the love of God made manifest in the presence of God and in the power of God. So the presence of God, that manifest presence, we see that there are special times where the glory of God comes and that cloud of the presence is so thick, like on Sinai when the people of Israel are worshiping and God gives the law, the cloud is burning on the mountaintop. Or later when they build the tabernacle and they consecrate it and they make the very first sacrifices, the cloud of the presence comes. Same thing when they build the temple and they consecrate it. The cloud of the presence is so thick that the priests have to bow to the ground. The song we sang earlier, Look Upon the Lord, it's referring to that moment in Israel's history. It is the same manifest presence that was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. The glory of God coming to the mountain, Peter, James, and John falling on their faces and bowing before it. It is the same manifest presence that is right now in Asbury, people walking in the room and just saying, something is here. And you just know it when you walk in the room. So God's love is poured out through his manifest presence. It's also poured out in his miraculous power. So when John is writing in his gospel about the very first miracle where Jesus turned water into wine, at the end of it he says, in this way Jesus manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And all of Jesus' healings, what was the result of Jesus, Jesus touching people and then walking away healed? It's that they rejoiced because they had been touched by the love of God in very personal, specific and life-changing ways. So whether through the manifest presence or through the miraculous power of God or whether through both at the same time, God's glory is revealing his love. And if we are saying that revival is nothing more complicated than people coming alive to God's love, when I hear people ask, well, do we really need revival? Is, is that all that important? How important is it really? I will say, yes, we need that. As a pastor, I often talk to people. I can look out at several of you who will say with all earnestness, I've never really experienced the love of God. I've heard that so many times. I've never really experienced the love of God. Do we need revival? 
Well, if revival is experiencing a touch of God's love in a deep and personal way, then for every person who's ever said and continues to say, I've never really experienced God's love, the answer is yes. The cloud of the presence that filled the mountain, the voice of the Father that spoke love over Jesus and blessing him, filling him with a radiance you couldn't stand to look at, that being given to you? Yeah, I want that for me. I want that for you. I want that for everyone in this room, and I want that for people beyond these four walls. Indeed, if you were to ask me, okay, Brett, as a pastor, what's the one thing you desire above all? What's the one thing you would, you would desire and wish for above everything? And I would answer to you simply this, that the people whom I serve would know and experience the love of God. That is it. As a pastor, that's what I want. And when Paul's writing in Ephesians 3, I think it's one of the most beautiful prayers in the whole Bible. He says, when I pray for you, I'm praying to the Father that he would send his spirit into the very inner parts of you so that Jesus would live in your heart as you trust in him. If you want to know where the Bible talks about Jesus coming to live in your heart, it's Ephesians chapter 3. That Jesus would live in your heart as you come to trust in him. And then as you are grounded, as you're rooted in that love, you would then together with all of God's people be able to comprehend even more the love of God, its height and its depth, its width and its length, that you would know the love of Christ and be filled with all the fullness of God. If I could have one thing that I desire as a pastor, it would be that. That sums it up perfectly and beautifully for you and for people beyond these four walls. So if, if it's that simple, why can't I or, or any of our preachers just stand up here week after week and just sway to and fro with benevolent and docile expressions and just say, God loves you, God loves you. Why doesn't that work? Why don't we do that? Believe me, I would love that. That would make sermon preparation a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? Why doesn't that work if it's so simple? It's just about God's love. Uh, why isn't it as simple as me just telling you God loves you and you saying, that's great, my life has changed? Well, because we have an enemy. And if this truth is indeed the most important truth in all the universe, that God is love and that he loves you, it makes sense to me that the supreme enemy of God and all of humankind would do everything in his power to put barriers and blockades and defenses against you receiving this truth. So what is it then that he puts in the way? What gets in the way of us receiving? Well, there's lies that he tells us. Lies about God, lies about ourselves. There is sin, our own sin, that makes us deaf to his voice, blind to his presence, and that hardens our hearts. Sin makes us hardened. Our sin, but also the sin of others. When people sin against us, they wound us. They lower our ability to trust others and even to trust God. All of these things make it so hard to receive the truth that God loves you. And that's why so much of ministry, so much of what we do is not just sway back and forth, 
sacerdotally and say God loves you, but we actually have to speak truth against the lies. We have to call you to repentance of your sin. We have to encourage you to forgive those who sinned against you. We do the work of helping you understand those wounds and receive healing from them. That's what we as pastors do. That's what you do when you minister to one another. Same thing. You help one another bring into the light the sins they're hiding. You help minister the truth of God against the lies that people are believing, you help minister healing to the wounds that people have received. That's what we do. That is so much of the work of ministry. It actually takes a lot of work to be able to receive the truth that God loves us. Because sin is the fundamental barrier between us and God, it's also why repentance and revival always go hand in hand. You think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, that was a, a revival movement. He was calling people to repentance, and people were flocking to him. So if you're here today, and you want to experience the love of God, the love that he has for you, but you're holding on to something that you're unwilling to let go of, something in your life that you already know is displeasing to God. I don't have to convince you of that. You already know deep down this is displeasing to God. You have to let that go. And you do that by telling someone about it, by bringing it into the light, and then turning away from it, seeking not to do that anymore. And yes, for a lot of people, that something is something sexual, that you're unwilling to turn away from or to let go of, or you're too afraid of the shame in order to bring it into the light. But sexual sin is not the only thing. There's pride, stubbornness, conceit, selfishness, narcissism, bitterness, resentment, holding a grudge, not forgiving. There's the willing indulging of unbelief. If God is speaking to you today and, and bringing something to your mind, knowing that is something that I'm holding on to, let me just say this to you. God's love is better than whatever that thing is that you're holding on to that you don't want to let go of. And also God's love is more powerful than your shame. Let me read to you a beautiful passage from 2 Corinthians. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. He also gave to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we say to you as ambassadors of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, him who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if you are aware of something that is blocking you from receiving the love of God, and you're aware right now, I don't need to tell you what it is, you're aware, then tell someone today. Bring that thing into the light and then turn away from disobedience. Come back to God and his love for you. God wants you to experience his love. 
Well, what if I want to experience God's love and I'm not immediately aware of a sin to repent of? How else do I make myself ready to receive the love of God? Well, the answer is in our gospel story today. What else did the voice say after the Father poured out his love upon Jesus? He told the disciples, what? Listen to him. Listen to him. If you want to know how to receive the love, then we listen for the voice of the Lord. And if you're asking, well, how do I hear the voice of Jesus? The answer is by trying to. By trying to. By making that your goal and your aim and trying and trusting. Trying to hear God's voice and then trusting, okay, if I do this, Lord, you're going to speak. And I know that takes a risk. I know that actually takes some work, inner work. But that's what you do. You seek to listen to his voice and you trust that if you're there listening, he's going to speak. Now, Lent is beginning on Wednesday. Lent is a time when we put aside earthly pleasures. We eliminate distractions. We find ways of letting go and things to give up and of emptying ourselves. Why do we do this? For the sake of being empty? No, that's not the end. Emptiness is not an end in of itself. We desire fullness. So we empty ourselves of these things to be full of something else, of someone else. You see, there is a difference between empty striving and striving to be empty. With empty striving, you're just doing these things, and you have no idea why. When you're striving to be empty, you're striving to be empty so that you can be filled, be filled with the love of God. So this year, take Lent seriously. And that's not so that you can become a good Christian or prove that you're a good Anglican. It's so that through the work of emptying yourself, you can be filled with the presence of the Lord. You can hear his voice. And above all, to know the love that God has for you. I'll conclude with this. Uh, we were in prayer as a staff team earlier this week, praying for you all, for the church, for our Lenten journey. And our pastor of pastoral care, Megan Robbins, had a word that I think has a prophetic quality to it. As she was praying for the church, she said, I have in my mind the story of Jehoshaphat when the armies, three armies, were coming against Israel, and they were way bigger. And so Jehoshaphat called a, a prayer and a fast to seek the Lord. And in worship, a prophet stood forth and said, God has given you the victory. And so they go down to the battlefield, but they put the worship leaders in front, trusting that God was going to do something miraculous. And when they show up, the armies had destroyed themselves. God had taken care of their problem. And so Megan sense as she was praying for our Lent is as we do the work of prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord's face, it's first and foremost a call to worship Him so that the conviction comes not first and primarily from our self-examination and looking inward, but rather from seeing his face, and the light of his presence will shine on the darkness in our lives, and that will lead us to repentance. That was Megan's word. I think it's a prophetic word. So as we prepare to set our hearts and our faces upon the Lord, let me just pray for you, as Paul did. 
Lord, that the people of resurrection would receive your Holy Spirit poured out from on high, that they may know the love of Jesus, trusting in him more and more, and that together, as your saints and with all the saints, we would indeed know the height and the depth and the breadth and the length that this people and this church and beyond would be filled with all the fullness of the love that you have for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, there's nothing more that we could desire or ask for. We do ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.